Live from Monster Island, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Okay, Tim. Back to normal things, well, right? You still have your equipment, right? Yes, we're we're all good. Although Bernie Fusco, when he had our stuff, he wound up deleting a bunch of our music. Uh, what? Okay. So, so I mean, we were planning to start episode one hundred and one as kind of uh, the beginning of season three of Derailed Trains well, of Thought. But I have to regroup all this stuff. Yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, we're not quite. So, consider, folks, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, consider us kind of under construction right now. We're uh, we'll, we'll we'll figure things out we as have, we go. We, we have a lot of. Uh things to work through yeah a couple years worth of ventures that was uh yeah we're, we're still in recovery from last yeah. last time for sure um but anyway at least we're at a, a safe looking location I, I think so. i mean i'm a little frightened by the the orange jumpsuits i mean is there well they they seem to like their kaiju movies Did you see like all that wall of tvs over there that like a bunch oh. of kaiju movies on there that's pretty cool Wait, are those movies i assume so what else would they be we've been in some weird places Oh, that's true. I guess you have a good point there. Yeah. Um, in case you, uh, you, this is your first time, folks. This is Derailed Trains of Thought, and I'm Tim. I am Nick, and this is your premier podcast for uh, all things story related for the creator and the consumer. Um, wait, does that guy look down down the hallway? Does he, does that guy look familiar? I, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, um, Nick, Tim, uh, Nathan. Hi, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I forgot. Your podcast is like the TARDIS. It takes you weird places. More or, More less. or less. Something like this that. Is just the la- this is just the latest place it took you? It seems to be. Wherever the... Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's Monster Island. Okay. We, we've learned not to question it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the many lessons that we've learned. Yeah. So. After 101 episodes, I would hope you learned something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think so. Yes. Yeah. But to answer your question... I you guys don't know much about this place, do you? Uh, no, not at all. Oh, okay. It actually used to be called Monsterland, which sounds like a theme park. I have to it, admit, it, it does. But it, come to Monsterland, everyone. <laughs> yeah, but it was. It's actually more like a, like a Jurassic Park style scientific facility. Those aren't kaiju movies. Oh, really? Those are real. There are many uh, huh. kaiju residents here. We will stay in this building. Yeah, yes, that, that, would, that would be that would be wise. This is makes sense. This is a very unlike Jurassic Park. This is a very secure facility. Hey, other have than one of those, that, like, do you have one of those balls we can go look around? Those balls that you can just ride around. Oh, you mean Jurassic World? Yeah, Jurassic World. Uh, we're, we're, they're still working on that. Oh man, but. Okay. Uh, but no, this is, it's actually very secure other than that one unfortunate incident in 1999 that we do not speak of with the, uh, with the disco nuns, some of us call them. Ah, yeah, I see. Yeah, but, uh, I don't. But anyway, no, so there's actually a resort here that they, oh, they established wow. after that unfortunate incident to uh, improve their PR and make a little money on the side. I could re- and, relaxing resort after yeah, this episode. Yeah, and I... I was doing grad school and and I needed I needed a break from everything. So I took a vacation here and then I found out that they had a job opening. Interesting. Yeah, there's a film vault here that houses the many movies uh, starring or about the the kaiju residents here and they were looking for a curator. So I applied for it and then I found out they had a a radio station here and I got bit by the podcasting bug. So I decided to <laughs> start happens. another podcast it and I met a guy named Jimmy from NASA. I don't know. He says he fought in the infamous war in space and miraculously survived, but he won't tell me how. 
You've had a lot of adventures just like we have, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I just said, hey, you want to help me start a new podcast? I thought, you know, the Monster Island Film Fall. It sounds like a great name for a podcast. Is that, is that started up yet? or uh, it'll, it'll, I'm working on it right now. It should be up and running, I think, next month, I think, uh, around then. Okay. Cool. Listeners, you should be uh, tuned into your podcast app of choice to see when that shows up, and maybe we'll give you a heads up. But meanwhile, maybe since Nathan's here, we can do some story school. Right. Um, bum, 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 bum. That was that was maybe we don't need our music replaced. Oh, I don't know. I I think we do what we can do for now. I think Tim missed his calling as a beatboxer. There we go. Well, I've had to edit these podcasts often enough. So anyway, for a story school day, we thought we'd since we're at this location talk about destruction as a story element. Destruction is spectacle, I think, is one way we... Or is uh, Apocalypse as Popcorn Entertainment. Yeah. Apocalypse is Popcorn. I, yeah. uh, that sounds like a, the title of a movie waiting to <laughs> yes. happen. Or either that or a very bizarre children's book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one at this point. Well, let me, let me kind of explain where I first started thinking about this. It actually it goes all the way back, I don't know if, maybe not when I first saw it in theater, but after thinking about Thor Ragnarok. Um, back in November 2017, um, which in some ways is a very dark movie. But when you most people talk about Thor Ragnarok, they talk about it as being really fun and silly and like lots of goofy moments. But like Asgard is destroyed. The people are almost genocided off. I mean, they get like half the population and gets killed off in Infinity War. I, um, I mean, it's called Ragnarok. <laughs> I mean, if you know, exactly. even if you only have a cursory knowledge of Norse mythology, that is the end of the gods and essentially the end of the world. <laughs> right. And yet here it is kind of played off as this kind of campy 80s-tastic sort of thing. Which So it just got me thinking, and then I know, Nate, you, you love uh, kaiju movies, obviously. Yeah. So, and that's a huge factor i mean kaiju movies are tended to be seen as like just kind of a fun popcorny kind of event and get you know you were talking about like massive destruction and the end of the world as we know it um, it's the end of the world as we know it exactly okay, i'm sorry that was, it was an obvious <laughs> reference obvious reference is obvious so but i mean it's I don't know, it's just an interesting phenomenon i thought it might be interesting to explore yeah it's it's interesting that you, that you mentioned Thor Ragnarok. I was not disappointed with that movie, but I was a little bit surprised at how light it was. And I thought I thought the jokes ended up undermining the drama that was there, but that was surrounded by so many jokes it kind of sucked the drama out of it. Yeah, and I've heard some people, some people who have complained about MCU movies in the past said this is a common problem with MCU. They will sometimes have a dramatic moment and then have a joke immediately following it that kind of diffuses the whole situation. Yeah, and my the thing, the way I explained it to people is that Thor Ragnarok wanted to be Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's not Guardians of the Galaxy. That formula works in Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm can't understand entirely how it works in <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, especially if you watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. There's jokes to get thrown into the dramatic scenes, but it doesn't take away the gravitas of what's going on. It still feels natural. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. It's but a strange it's, brew. It's, it, yeah, <laughs> it is something that has not been replicated by any of its imitators, even within Marvel. 
So here's the question with destruction. Like, what do you guys think are the kind of main uses of it? Like, why do we just destroy massive amounts of stuff, in, especially in movies? It doesn't happen in books. But why? What do we get out of it? I was going to say, it it does happen in books. The whole first, what, two or three chapters of my first Children of the Wells book, everything is literally blowing up. That's true. It does Buildings are collapsing. I mean, I've written this. (laughs) So why do we do it? Well, I think... And this is something I wanted to make I want to make sure that we broach on this because I do think there's a there's a difference between as you're putting it Tim, you know, destruction a spectacle and what's commonly called destruction porn. Okay. There's a massive difference because and this is happens a lot in uh, in films I think more so than really anything else and that is when there's I've still had a little bit of a hard time quantifying what is destruction porn. But for me, it's stuff that you have a city being decimated or destroyed or whatever, and it's incredibly gratuitous. It doesn't really serve a purpose other than fancy special effects. The spectacle yeah, of the it. Spectacle, oh. The spectacle of it. And I know of a common example that people cite for this is Man of Steel. Yeah, I was going to say that. I even remember watching it thinking, like enjoying it, but thinking... They had just blown ridiculous amount of stuff up, yeah. and like, yeah, it was yeah. it was excessive. I actually felt that way a little bit in Aquaman. Um, not that they blew so much stuff up, but that that there's so many, so much battle and lasers and things happening that well, at some point, like, it was fun. But I'm like, they've like destroyed everything, and then it like felt too much. Like, oh, we got computer graphics, let's do it. I felt like when I when I was watching Aquaman, I just felt like every scene was interrupted by a, by an explosion. <laughs> it's like everyone's like plop 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 boom. Character, 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 boom! I mean, <laughs> why is everything blowing up so, in this movie? So I guess we can all agree that there are times, especially in visual medium, where it's just like, if some action is good, more action is better, is yeah. the theory, it's not true, but that's what they're yeah. running on. Which is one of the things that, because Man of Steel feels excessive, but then, going back to kind of the kaiju thing, you watch Godzilla 2014, or you watch, even Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim is an action movie. Yeah. But it it's not destruction porn because each of those battles has a purpose to it, and yeah, there's lots of cool things in it, and they come up with some really clever set pieces and things like that. You know, like one of the mechs finds because you know, these mechs are like 200 feet tall, and one of the mechs goes off and finds a freighter from a harbor, starts dragging it around, and, and then clubs a monster yeah. with it. I mean, so that's that's clever and it's cool, but it still plays into the rest of the story of what's going on, and it's not. I mean, there isn't necessarily consequences to it, but you see that there are people in this city and they're hiding. There's a reason for why they're doing everything. Whereas Man of Steel, it just seemed very willy-nilly and people are just being endangered for no reason and things like that. And I think that's another one of the things that separates it is there has to be consequences to it and there has to be a reason for it. A lot of, for a while there, there were a lot of disaster movies getting made. And that, just the whole, all of them are just like, it's just a stupid plot that exists as a setup for cool, air quote, special effects. And I wonder, I mean, because to a certain extent, especially in visual medium, destruction adds a sense of danger, a sense of excitement, of instant, you know, just add water sort of conflict. And so in that way, I can see why you throw it in. But and I do think also there's a short story I read in high school, and I wish I remembered the name of it. But it was all about these kids who went into this, I think it was abandoned house that kind of like set up to just like so it could like just collapse just destroy it it was kind of about the the that desire humans have to just like 
destroy things. You know, you pick up a leaf and tear it apart or you pick up a banana and pull the legs off. I mean, I don't do that, but people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if there's just uh, something something we like about seeing things beat up as long as we know that it's also not real. Well, and that's that's a key part. That I've I've wondered about this in terms of like how much empathy an audience may have for the characters in a movie that are in the middle of an apocalypse. It seems to me that for the most part, audiences don't particularly care that much or or usually not that invested in crowd scenes, but they're very invested in particular characters. Like if a character is caught up in a crowd, then they suddenly care about the entire crowd. But if it's like a whole crowd of people dies and then the one hero who lives, well, then everyone's happy. It's still a fun movie. Okay. I just got to say real quick here, one of my pet worst memories of watching a disaster movie. So Dante's Peak. You guys seen Dante's Peak? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 well, no, but I think you've ranted about this okay. before. Yeah, right? I, 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 I have, I've only seen a, a couple of clips of it. I've Grandmother dies, dog lives. One to... Oh my gosh, that was a trope I know, it was, all but, the time but, in the but 90s. But the grandma like, gets melted down by like acidic water that the volcano... It was horrible. It was like... I, I, yeah, I, I will never understand how... And this happens in Independence Day yes, as well. Yes, it does. Yep. You know, Boomer will live. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've never understood this thing where we just watched thousands of people die... But my gosh, that dog! Thank goodness, draw, uh, dodges that fireball. That would magically. Been, that would have been too mean. You can kill all the humans, but that dog. Oh, or yeah, going back to Man of Steel. I mean, like one of the one of the scenes that just drives me insane is they decide to have Jonathan Kent die saving a dog from a tornado. What I'm is like, that? If it was a little kid, I could accept it. Why wasn't it a little kid? Why was it a dog? What is it? Well, Hollywood and li- that's just bizarre. Animals. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, this is my my theory for why Thor Ragnarok also gets away with this kind of stuff because unfortunately, I I think most audiences did not care that much about Asgard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Thor movies had a kind of a mediocre reputation, and so undeserved. I want to say I, I would say so too. I'm I was I saw this coming early. Like the marketing for the Ragnarok really kind of amped up the parallels, like you said, to Guardians of the Galaxy, and it made me a little sad. I understood why they were doing it, but like I really appreciated and liked having kind of a, a slice of fantasy of uh, the kind of Shakespearean slants that they were going for in um, the previous Thor movies. And I always kind of felt like they just kind of destroyed it like, willy nilly because they felt like no one really cared all that much about it. Like when um, Hela or what is that her name? The, the sister, the evil Kate Blanchett shows up. She immediately kills two of Thor's best friends. And then you get a joke from Carl Urban saying, oh, I'm just the janitor here, which I mean, not a bad move for them to kill. I mean, it was shocking, but then they just kind of whitewash it over and then they left them and they never address it later on. I'm like, dude, those are those are his allies that from like two previous movies that you just offed without like a second thought. At least the like Asian guy got a, a cool fight scene. Oh, moment off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if if that, going on your idea that, you know, you need to care about it. If we've reached a point where in movies, most time people know they're watching a movie. I mean, like, we're so well-versed in the, that there's a lot of stuff that you you just know can happen. And you're there just for the adrenaline, just for the the buzz. And you you don't take it as, you don't identify deeply with the character. You know, there's certain genres or certain areas where they know you can just do that. And so they ramp that part up. Mm-hmm. for whatever, for the cheap, not cheap, but the easy thrill. Yeah, and I don't know that it's necessarily always bad, because, no. like, 
if you read the book Treasure Island, by the end, you kind of get the impression that Jim Hawkins comes away with the whole experience of PTSD. (laughs) (laughs) The way he talks about like being haunted by Long John Silver and his dreams and things like that. So, yeah, there's a certain distance that an audience takes away from, you know, an action movie or something. These things are supposed to be fun. You don't Mm -hmm. feel like you have to like be quite as traumatized every time mm-hmm. but the, it's just interesting the difference between like say ragnarok and then like say infinity war where they did really lean into the oh, tragedy so much gravity in infinity war oh yeah so it's an interesting it, it's contrast like, you know, like the gravity that should have been in ragnarok is in infinity war suddenly <laughs> <laughs> it made me really wish the russo brothers had directed a thor movie once uh, i well slightly tangential i just want to put out there that the russo brothers as directors and the i can't remember their names Stephen McFeely and the one other guy. The writer. The two screenwriters. Yeah. You pair those two sets of people together, I think they are the best creative team in the MCU. I'm just saying. Like, look at their resume together in the MCU, and it's arguably some of the best movies in the entire series. But anyway, beside the point. <laughs> the I think one of the things that you're kind of touching on, which is... You see it a lot in kaiju movies, but I think it's in a lot of movies like this in general is what I've heard referred to as sanitized violence. Mm. The idea of sanitized violence is that what you're seeing is just buildings being destroyed and there's no people in them. You know, it's just the you don't, you, you, you just kind yeah. of, yeah, it's just, it's the backdrop. You're not thinking about it unless the movie is actually showing, oh, there are people in yeah. this. You're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about that is a really cool building that is getting demolished right now. You're not thinking about whether or not that there are people in that. And I think different movies do that with better or worse ability. And maybe it was just me watching, I'm going to go back to Aquaman, but when they were fighting that seaside village, if they leave, I'm like, how much damage they just did? Like, all these people have to pick up and, like, live their lives now, and they just run away. Like, I still want to see the movie of the people have to clean up after superheroes. I still think that'd be the most wonderful movie. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started off like that, and then they got all crazy go nuts. Well, they had a little <laughs> bit of that in the first Spider-Man movie. Remember they were like, Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, you mean... Uh, you mean uh, uh, Homecoming. The Homecoming. Homecoming, okay, yeah. Of the new, yeah. Yeah, that, that's funny that you bring that up, because I've heard some people try to argue that the first Avengers movie is, once you get to the third act, that last half an hour where it just goes nuts, I've heard some people try to say that's destruction porn, but I never felt like that was destruction they- porn. I felt like this was the payoff that we've been waiting for. It's the epic climax that we were waiting for. And if it was less than that, I think people would have been disappointed. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about the first Avengers is that a lot of that movie is build up for a fight that they know is coming. And so it's kind of a build up for war movie in a in a weird way. So, yeah, I think it never bothered me quite the same way. Maybe that's because... New York is kind of America's home turf. Like we're used to seeing that, so it's like we're gonna see this defended, and it's gonna be awesome because the superheroes doing it. And then there's and then those are build up, but there's consequences, you know, mm-hmm. to having the, that destruction or like the whole, you know, after Age of Ultron, you know, mm-hmm. when they blow up that, you know, that island falls and, or whatever that chunk of land falls. Yeah, and, you know, everyone elevated. The everyone's like thing, sh- yeah. showing on the news. They're like, uh, guys, we got to do something about this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's and there's consequences to First Avengers too. I mean, yeah. it really changes the MCU world. It's like there's there was before New York and then after New York. Yeah, pretty much. It's one of the turning points in the series. But I, I do think, kind of going back when you're talking about tone in all of these things since i just gave a presentation at g fest about this you know a pair of screenwriters for toho hmm. they had uh, very different sensibilities they were polar opposites from each other you know takeshi kimura and shinichi sakazawa and shinichi sakazawa tended to write lighter stories they were not insubstantial they were just 
you had to mine it a little bit. And both of them wrote Giant Monster or Tokusatsu is what it's called, you know, special effects films that included lots of destruction and their tones and their tones and approaches were very different, but they all but they both still worked. So Takeshi Kimura would be the one who would be more likely to write the the darker, more dour things and really hammer across the gravitas of it, where Sekizawa took a more lighthearted, often satirical approach to these things. But even then, he did not inject so much that it robbed the destruction scenes of some level of gravitas, Mm -hmm. and he did not divorce it from the rest of the story. As we were talking, I was thinking of, and I showed you guys this movie actually a year and a half ago or so, Mothra, yeah, original Mothra. So you get to the end of that movie, and Mothra is flying around in a city, and the winds off of her wings are so powerful, it's throwing cars around like toys, mm-hmm. probably because they were all actually toys. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's throwing them around, but the characters are running around. And it's a light movie. There's lots of fun things in it. But there's danger. But there's danger, and mm-hmm. the characters are running around saying, we need to stop Mothra. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. need to, you know, we need to find those two tw- you know, 12-inch twins they got kidnapped. Mothra is looking for them. We give them back. Mothra stops wrecking the city. Mm-hmm. So even though the story itself is real, is pretty lighthearted and very satirical at points, there's still Im- an imminent threat, imminent danger, and the characters are in danger. The city is in danger. So you can still, I guess, have your cake and eat it too, yeah. so long as what's going on as you said, it has an element of danger to it. Yeah, and I think I think the consistency in the rules of your story, I think, make a big difference. Because, you know, say the Powerpuff Girls, <laughs> this <is> a, <laughs> uh, which I don't think I've ever used as an example on this podcast. But <laughs> Well, this is season three. All things are new. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> but, like, you know, they fight giant monsters all the time, and it's all very cartoony and silly. But... There's certain episodes where they do have a nice little bit of uh, gravitas to it. You know, it's been a while since I watched it regularly, so I couldn't get name specific examples. But they they do very well at like it's serious when it's supposed to be serious, and it's just funny, silly when it's meant to be silly. And as as long as you don't cross the streams at the right time, like you said, Guardians of the Galaxy had this weird had this really weird alchemy where they managed to do both, but most. Yeah, most stories that try to do that, I don't think necessarily always pull it off. Something that is related to this, but I think it's particularly because of all of the of the increase in these destruction-based movies, like Man of Steel and all of that. I think some people, because of the fallout from Man of Steel, they look at other thing, other movies that have a lot of destruction in it, and I think they overanalyze it a tad bit when... There is supposed to be an element of fun to this, but then all they can think about is what would be the real world consequences about these things. Mm -hmm. And I think by doing that, you end up sucking a lot of the enjoyment out of what you're seeing. And it's it's breaking the rules of that particular story because you're overanalyzing it. Like I agree that. with that, that we, we have a culture now that like will purposely be super realistic on a movie that's not supposed to be or like. On a movie that is super realistic, trying to do the opposite, like they they purposely misinterpret it almost, you know, yeah. just because like that wouldn't really happen. Well, yeah, of course it wouldn't happen because it's this sort of movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it's all about kind of staying in, well, stay in your lane, bro. Uh, stay, staying in the the constraints of what kind of movie it is. It's like I, I think that's one problem with like nitpicking something like. Star Wars, for example, is like, well, why didn't they do this? Well, that's not, it's a, it's a fantasy. There's certain things that like, 
you don't want to get too technical about. And yeah, I agree. You don't want to get too realistic about. But if at some point where you lose the the empathy line, where you're like you're trying to have your audience continue on this empathetic path along with your characters, with the situation, but at some point, then you just kind of like brush it off. It's like, nah, it's not really that big a deal or act like it is too big a deal. Then, you know, all of a sudden the stakes are way more dire than your audience is led to believe that you can cause this kind of whiplash effect. And I think with superhero stories, it's, it's been heightened because there's some of them are so overpowered. We don't know how to process an empathy for some person who can like blow buildings up. Mm. I mean, sir, I mean, we don't like, like we just stop being able to feel like, oh, that hurts when they can, you know, they can have a building drop on them and you're like, Am I supposed to feel like they hurt? I don't know. Like, are they okay? Do I care? Just throw another building at them? I don't, you know, I think sometimes we lose the best way to understand them because they're doing things that, like, no one could possibly do against two other people who are doing the same thing. Yeah. Again, Man of Steel. (laughs) (laughs) One of the the more egregious examples. Well, I really need to watch it again because I I defended it a lot when it came out because I felt like some criticisms against it were unfair, but it's been... When did that come out? Like 2013 or something like that? Yeah, 2013. I mean, I will admit, I did the same thing, although it is a a movie that has lost its luster as time has gone on. I find myself liking it less and less Mm -hmm. and understanding why people have issues with it. My argument used to be people complained about the destruction levels in that, and then I would say, did you see Superman 2? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of civilians getting endangered in Superman 2. There's a fairly high level of destruction in Superman 2, because that's a very easy comparison to make. It's also General Zod, more Kryptonians, and all. You know, and Superman fighting in the middle of a city. There are civilians that get endangered in that. It's just that they couldn't do as high a level of destruction because of the limitations of special effects at the time. Mm. So so I think they honestly probably put in a lot of destruction that they were capable of doing with the technology and the budget that they had. But, I, I mean, I'm serious. They're, at that point, it's there are points where it's street level and there are actual civilians running around. They are right there while Superman is fighting these villains. And there's a point where a, a manhole gets thrown. It's just like, it's a good thing somebody caught that. Because yeah. uh, there would be uh, you know, twice was, as many civilians because they all got cut in half. <laughs> and I will say, since I've been kind of ragging on Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> no pun intended. That, that was a natural one. Puns on this show? <laughs> um, Ragnarok definitely does have, have a cool look to it. I was rewatching it recently because I knew we were going to be talking about it. And I came to realize, you know, if this had been meant to be a super dramatic movie, it would have looked a lot different. This this the movie looks very comic booky. It looks kind of clean. There's a, you know, there's a thing on YouTube sometimes about what if such and such movie were an anime opening, had an anime opening. Oh yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, well, and the, the one for Thor Ragnarok is particularly good because it does have a very nice simplicity of cinematography style. There's a lot of. No, it just it looks clean. It looks at the same time it looks really futuristic-y in a, in a cool way, which in a way that you could tell the filmmakers were genuinely trying to make it a fun movie. The fact that again they were trying to do this with Thor Ragnarok <laughs> is a little incongruous considering what they had done before. But whatever. welcome to the apocalypse now with more jokes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Ragnarok in general is incongruous, I think, by design to a certain extent, but. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, we've what, been, what, what have we learned here, Tim? What we have learned applies to our lives today. Okay, no, we're not going to do that. 
Um, you just killed Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should expect a VeggieTales reference on this show. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Um, I, I don't know that I have a, a simple summary like usual. Oftentimes, it really does depend on uh, situation. But I think is when you use destruction, be aware of your level of empathy. Yeah. And I, th- there should probably be some level of empathy, but there's a, there's a rotating scale. But if, like you have nothing at all, I think... I, th- I think it can come off a little callous, almost. I mean, again, if the purpose of your story is not that, if you're going for like the cartoony Powerpuff Girl level violence, I'm not. I mean, everyone in the city of Townsville is fine. They're used to like there's running gags about how they're used to giant monster fights in their city, and that's you know that's fun. That's that's great. I've come up with jokes like that. You know, I've I had this one bit that I came up with one time, where it was a foreign couple that just moved to Tokyo in a in a Godzilla sort of universe and they're, they're buying insurance for their house and they're being told that they have to buy all this extra insurance against Kaiju. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is this? That's Godzilla insurance. <laughs> Why do I need Godzilla insurance? Did you just move here? Yeah. Give it a couple of months. He'll show up. <laughs> he might level your house. I think the idea of, uh, act of Godzilla insurance. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the Nathan's idea of the sanitized violence, I think is, one to keep in mind that, you know, how much are you sanitizing it? I think we had mentioned our violence episode about J. Michael Straczynski saying there should be more violence than it should mean something, which I'm not necessarily agreeing with. But, you know... He has a point. But he has a point that, like, if you sanitize it all the time, people are going to stop taking anything seriously. But if you... And that might be fine in your book. You know, if you're, you know, doing Indiana Jones, you just shoot the guy and move <laughs> on. I mean, there's a certain amount of, you know, it works. Yeah. But then if you do that all the time, then this would, like... Guardians of the Galaxy 2, when they start killing all the people, I'm like, I can't deal with this. It's like horribly violent, but you're trying to laugh at it. And it, it didn't, that didn't work for me in volume two. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think just kind of being aware of these, these incongruities that can happen and trying to make your, your story holistic in one way or another. And I think purpose is another thing mm-hmm. to keep in mind as well. You know, to go back to the, to the kaiju examples, if you were to watch, say, the Godzilla series in chronological order... You watch the first movie, and it's very dark. It's very art housey. The destruction and the violence that you are seeing is meant to have lots of weight. It is meant mm-hmm. to burden you. You're not necessarily seeing the characters being endangered, but it's showing you so many people mm-hmm. who are being affected by this, and it's very vulnerable people. You know, there's this very famous scene in the mo- in, in the movie where you have a mother and two children. And the children are laying in their mother's lap, and there is fire all around them and rubble all around them. And the mother tells her children, if you watch the subtitled version, that they're going to be with their father soon. And that is meant to be heart-wrenching. Two movies later, you're in full tilt satire, (laughs) thanks to Shinichi Sakazawa, where they're trying to get King Kong and Godzilla to fight each other, and they're making jokes about how King Kong versus Godzilla would look great on a marquee, and someone's already trying to make a movie out of it, so it's a meta-commentary as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. And just to touch on it, like a, another genre, there's a big difference between Evangelion and Mobile Suit G Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be derailed trains of thought without talking about Ava. <laughs> G Gundam has like giant mecha that are in the shape of windmills at some point. Nice. They're the the Gundams that come from uh, 
Dutch. They're like okay. the Dutch windmill. Yeah, all, of, all it's a it's an international cast of uh, pilots and mechs, and all of the mechs are full of stereotypes. I mean, nice. It's just well, like the American mech has like football player shoulders, uh, shoulder pads, and boxing gloves. And nice. <laughs> meanwhile, Evangelion are piloted by severely psychologically damaged children, <laughs> and uh, the series ends in a giant ocean of blood. Yeah, so. so. <laughs> no, we, no, no. We don't talk about the end of Evangelion. That right, right, right. <laughs> so I'm just saying, know what you're making. <laughs> <laughs> know what you're making. Yes. There's a big difference there. All right. So that has been our story school, and we will go to our first soundtrack. Cue Tim. Oh. Um. Good nice. That was, that was good. <laughs> I should have brought like a recorder. We could just do it ourselves. It would be great. <laughs> All right, so for the first one, I picked the song from the end of Yoshi's Island. Bowser, baby Bowser becomes giant Bowser, very kaiju-ish. Um, this is remixed by Leishmush, and it is called Bowzilla.
right, and we're back after that rockin' yeah! thing. Nice. All right, um, because we like it and it sounds good, we are going to do some What If. What If. I don't know, think I can do this song. Okay, let's do it a couple times. What If. What If. What If. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> well, that was borderline ASM there. Guys. <laughs> All right, guys. What If. <laughs> Anyways, so today we thought we'd take some... Some normal movies, some normal books, some randomized stuff, and say, what kind of kaiju would fit best in this world? Because every movie needs a kaiju. Every Actually, country has a kaiju. Every country. Well, yeah. Uh, Godzilla makes everything better. I'm exactly. just saying. I suppose for some people who aren't super familiar with the term kaiju, we should have uh, Nathan uh, oh, okay. define it for us. It is a, it's a Japanese word. It literally translates as strange beast though it is usually applied to monsters of gigantic size, although I think the more proper term for that would be daikaiju, because that's specifically gigantic. That's what you say when they come near. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Puns! Anyway. Daikaiju! <laughs> but that's usually, it's, it's commonly applied. If you watch Pacific Rim, that's what they named all the, that's what they call the monsters. They, they call them kaiju. So giant building-sized monsters. Generally speaking. Although then there's weird subsets within that, like kaijin, which is smaller humanoid-looking monsters and things like that. But, you know, we don't need to get into the minutia of all of this. <laughs> okay. okay. Fair enough. There's all right. minute about kaiju. So we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> We're gonna throw kaiju into some story that doesn't have okay, it. Okay, let's let's do a book first. Okay, we each threw in what three, three three random book titles into a hat because we couldn't find a good uh, random book generator online no, that, no. that at least have... had things we knew what the heck they were. Exactly. So our first one is one day in the life of Ivan Dionisovich. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so if you have not, have you read this, Tim? I think I did read this in high school. Okay, we read I read it in, it in college. college. So basically, it's Alexander Solzhenitsyn saying one day of this guy, Russian guy in a gulag. In communist Russia. Yes. The Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. This is a very realistic book. <laughs> yes, it's like super realistic. It's like, I mean, it's kind of painfully realistic. Yeah. Uh, I feel that if we're it going... It needs to be an Arctic kaiju. It would have to be an Arctic kaiju. And I feel like since it takes place in Russia, it should be a bear. Oh. Okay. 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 Uh, so should be a like bear. a polar bear, like a black bear. Probably a black bear. I don't think. I don't think polar bears are. No, you just know, or, 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 you know, hang out in Siberia. No, well, no, I don't think so either. I just it'd be all white. Maybe could you? They, it's just it gets in little... while they're while they're building that. I think they're building something. Maybe they just like yeah. See all the of that. Even Dionisovich is working on a nuclear reactor, a secret nuclear reactor in Siberia. Uh, okay. So it's prison labor, and a bear wanders a little too, too close. close. <laughs> and, and I think it'd be one of those stories in super realistic where the guy who's not actually in the story is just around the story. Like they can yes. say, like it's it's like a metaphor for like the all-seeing, powerful government of the Soviet of the government? Soviet Union. Yeah. Oh, so the kai. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if the if the kaiju would wind up killing off all the like concentration camp employees and save all the workers, or if it was an relevant sort of. No, no, no. Th- th- this is uh, Dan Life and Ian Dionisovich. It has to be super realistic. Yeah. <laughs> it, it has to be very depressing. Okay. All and right. you know, like Nick said, it's everybody living under the oppressive government and it's always looming over them yeah. so although i do think the bear should probably have a hammer and sickle with him yeah, or, you know, or yeah. something so what, what what's this bear's name mother russia 
Um, <laughs> Vlad. Also Russo. I don't know. <laughs> I would have to look up what the, what the Russian word for bear is, I, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, my Russian doesn't go that deep. <laughs> All right. Well, right. I think that's a good picture there. All right. So let's do a movie next, okay. Nick. Hit our random movie generator button. You pick one from there. Um, let's do San Andreas. San Andreas? Yeah, you seen that movie? I haven't seen San Andreas. It's basically like... Have you seen it? Yeah, I have, actually. Okay. It's basically like um, it's a, a dis- disaster movie film kind of the style of like Cloverfield. Interestingly, the director of San Andreas did do a kaiju movie, oh. Rampage. Oh, the, he did the Rampage. the same director, also ah. starred The Rock. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's... Yeah, so it's, it's a very military well. movie. It's, you know, get in, get out sort of stuff. I think there's aliens or something. So will it really be that much different if you throw a kaiju in I there? think all of, all you really... It would be the exact same movie. It's just that the earthquake's caused by a kaiju. No, but I think <laughs> I think you have the... Oh, and I'm thinking of, some, I'm thinking of something else, actually. <laughs> I think a completely different movie. Have you yeah, actually it's seen a, this it's movie? About, uh, San no. Andreas is about earthquakes. No, I'm thinking of... Oh, yeah, It's a San Andreas me. fault. I cut everything I said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> What were you thinking of? I'm trying to remember what it's called. Does it have the rock in it? It's a lot of military stuff, but anyways. So, okay, so the earthquakes. Yeah, it's all about earthquakes in, in California. So, yeah, the, the earthquake would probably be caused by a kaiju. Yeah, it's a kaiju hanging out in the San Andreas Fault. Should, should anything crawl out of it? Maybe. Would it, would, okay. It's a giant mutant mole. Okay. <laughs> I, I like that. I'm, I'm going with it. Okay. I, my second... Called my, Andreas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is California, though, right? Yes. So, like, I have Percy Jackson on my mind okay. right now. So, <laughs> the, the other option, if it wasn't a mole, it could almost be a demon that, you know, that... that I, I don't know if we by want to go that route. I, I feel <laughs> like that would, that would completely change this movie if we started going the supernatural route, where... Uh, okay. I mean, I haven't seen San Andreas, yet but i think it's a much lack of a better term pardon the pun it's a more grounded movie (laughs) (laughs) okay i got you so giant mole okay i get i get it because it's digging things up out of the the ground yeah it's just minding its own business man it's not trying to cause an earthquake now is it minding its own business or mining its own business (laughs) oh (laughs) the pun count just keeps going up it's like If you need to add a new thing to the derailed trains of thought drinking game, <laughs> add puns to the list. A pun meter. <laughs> pun meter. Pun meter. So, okay, so, and, you know, yeah, so it's like, it's not really the enemy. They have to calm it down and get it back in the... Back in the ground. And then, like, the ending be like, but when will it return? Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Yeah. You sure they just wouldn't trank it and t- haul it off for study? <laughs> no, some scientists say, that's something, you can't do that. It just has a family down there. <laughs> it has a family. It probably does. It has its son little, Andre- little Andreas. Probably got woken up when they uh, finally install a subway system. So. Yeah, the, the babies are called aftershocks. Oh, ba- yeah, exactly. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's do a book here. All right, next, our book title is... Les Miserables. Les Miserables. <laughs> so we need a very French kaiju. <laughs> very French kaiju. Um, it needs to be like some sort of like some last experiment of Napoleon that came back to haunt the, <laughs> the uh, come back to haunt all the Democrats. Uh, a skunk. Or the Republicans. <laughs> all the all the all the people who want the brotherhood and fraternity again. Um, skunk, no, too. no, the kaiju is Napoleon. Okay. He was doing experiments on himself because he wanted to be taller. Okay. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> and instead, he turns into the amazing Colossal Man, but he's only half as tall as the amazing Colossal Man. <laughs> 
Okay, so there's so there's a reanimated kaiju Napoleon <laughs> running around. They're doing their barracks thing. They're trying to get independence and get rid of the royalists and everything. And then Napoleon shows up, which really mucks up the entire the ending. And Kavroch is just like goes and climbs up him and gets in his hair and stuff, and it'd be good. <laughs> I've suddenly, yeah. I suddenly okay. really want to see the musical do this one too. <laughs> I think Can you imagine they would, they'd have to write a whole new song for, for Giant Napoleon? Napoleon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It would be amazing. And then, I mean, you get all the love stories down there as he's coming. Ru- I mean, it just makes the whole barracks scene even better. And Jean Valjean still has a hide in the sewer. So wait, wait, wait. Is Napoleon, forgive me for my lack of knowledge of French history, but would Napoleon be on the side of Jean Valjean or Javert? Well, they don't care about that. Well, Javert does. Jean Valjean doesn't care about any of what's going on. Well, true. I mean, but so uh, I Marius say, does. I say, okay, Marius or the or Javert. Uh, well, see, it's hard because Napoleon started out as like, hey, we're going to be for the people, and then he became an emperor for life. So mm. they, like, Marius liked Napoleon because his dad were, uh, fought for him, but, like, the hardcore people who were rebelling didn't like Napoleon because he became emperor for life. Uh, for my under, for my remembrance, so of so it's a Frankenstein. Well, not Frankenstein. It's a you know, it's a classic mad scientist sort of thing. You you try to come up with something great, and it winds up becoming a disaster. There maybe is, both sides. I just want to say them. there is a kaiju Frankenstein movie. I'm just saying, <laughs> maybe both sides be, would join forces against Napoleon. That mm. is what. That's what. How mm. they. That's how all of the stuff stops. They all join forces. Are like we have to stop giant Napoleon at yeah. least for one more day. <laughs> <laughs> One day more. I just say, as weird as this sounds, there is an actual 2D Les Miserables fighting game. <laughs> that was that would have played. I, okay, I, just, I know this is tangential, but this is derailed trains of thought. But that is a thing that exists. It's fan made. Oh, I've seen awesome. video footage of it. It is ridiculous. I, I want Gavroche versus Thenardier uh, would be pretty great. <laughs> is Napoleon also a, an analogy for the French Revolution? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Giant, In many ways. Napoleon. Yeah. 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 So. Like, how you look good for that? It, it, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. What's our What's our next movie, Nick? Do you guys want to do? What do you think? The Prestige. You guys uh, seen the Prestige? I've seen Prestige. Or do you want to do Fight Club? I'm kind of tempted to do Fight Club. Actually. <laughs> okay. Let's do Fight Club then. <laughs> Fight Club. Okay. So was this Tyler Durden just suddenly gets giant, or uh, or is the Fight Club? No, 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 no. He's not a real kaiju. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to get do another. We don't need to have another giant. <laughs> what did you say? It's in his head. It's a fight club for kaiju. <laughs> all the kaiju, all the kaiju, meet on an island because I've got islands with kaiju on the brain right now, uh-huh. and they just fight each other because they get tired of taking out their their anger on cities. No, so yes, they, they are so fed up with the fact that they just want to. It's like a, a director, Shiro Honda, you know, who directed many Godzilla movies, said, you know, kaiju are born too big and all of that. So I don't remember the exact quotation offhand. All the Godzilla nerds are going to maim me in the comments. I know that. But uh, and so that's the whole thing. It's like they're just fed up with it. The human, we're just like, we're tired of the humans. We're so frustrated. And then they all meet on the island. And they beat the crap so, out so, of each other. So they're upset about modern society. Yes. Which would make sense in Fight Club. <laughs> Have you ever seen Fight Club? Uh, it's been a long time. Okay. Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if you had or not. It's been a while since I've seen it too, but you know. But I, yeah, it's, it's one of those that. movies that things stick with you, and people talk about it online all the time. So that's it helps. It stick now, with I, you. I, I guess first rule of Fight Club: not to talk about Fight Club, but when you're giant monsters on an island, I don't think you, you have know about it. Oh, you don't know. About it's a it. little yeah. harder to do that. Yeah. You don't really have rules if you're a kaiju. And you don't really talk, do you? <laughs> Sometimes I've seen talking kaiju. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
fantastic. No, the whole the the whole movie would be just subtitles. Like the the, the monsters are growling and grunting at each other, and there's subtitles the whole nice. time. Nice. Well, at first, I was wondering whether kaiju were like mental projections of their of themselves. Since isn't that kind of a thing in Fight Club too? No. the The plot twist is that they're mental projections of the humans. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. It works. Or the humans are mental projections of the kaiju. Ooh. <laughs> All right. We're, <laughs> I, I'm ready to move on. Let's, let's go. Okay, next book we have here is The Hound of the Baskervilles. Without it being a giant hound? It's Yeah, that's the obvious route. It's yeah. a giant hound. Yeah, why not? <laughs> it's well, a giant hound. It ruins the entire mystery. But, I mean, it's, that's... I think, it, it, I think no, it needs to be a giant red herring. <laughs> <laughs> Like an, an actual fish. An actual fish. <laughs> okay. That's uh, emerged from the marshes of the Baskervilles. It would really throw Watson for a loop. <laughs> I think it, was, it might throw Holmes for a loop, at least for a little bit. I was just going to say it doesn't turn giant until the end, but the the, the red herring, I think, is actually better. <laughs> I mean, you could do the hound. That would be pretty exciting. You know, have, like, it's a normal, and then it actually turns into this giant hound, and then they have to uh, fight it and stuff. Yeah, and it turns out that the plot twist is that it's, well, I don't know. I was going to say it, the plot twist is that it actually is supernatural and goes giant at the end. And Holmes is just like, oh, what the crap? <laughs> Hol- Holmes' chemistry experiment goes terribly wrong. <laughs> he's like, no, that's the plot twist. He finds out he's responsible for the hound because he dumped a bunch of chemicals in into the, in the, the marshes. In the marshes. And he's like, oh, no. Mixed in, mixed, in with mixed in with opium. I have to yeah. arrest myself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. I like it. I think we need to do another book. I'm enjoying the books here. Okay. Okay. We can jump to another book here. We'll go with Treasure Island. Ooh. Treasure Island. Just I think as I had that one on my mind from earlier. All right. I'm thinking one of two things. Mm-hmm. Sea monster. Okay. Or the treasure is guarded by a kaiju. That is their Ooh. final test. The whole rest of the book is the same, but then when they get to the island, it's guarded by a kaiju. Ooh. So I went like weird RPG and I thought like, you know, those treasure chests that are also monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I thought kaiju, that's just a giant like treasure giant chest. No, no. <laughs> that's even, a no, no, even better. Even better. Plot twist. Long John Silver's parrot is a kaiju in disguise. <laughs> oh, no, I, 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 if we're going with the spirit of the book, because I, I, I love Treasure Island a lot. I think the idea of the, of the kaiju being the guardian of the island that's basically controlled or befriended by Ben Gunn. Um, I think I think that's the way you got to go because so, Ben Gunn is like the secret, like awesome guy that no one knows about until they get to the island. But here's a question: Is the kaiju made of smoke? <laughs> it's not a smoke monster. So what is it, Tim? You know Treasure Island better than the rest of us. It's been a while since I've read it. It's a wonderful uh, book. But. I mean, is it is it a land kaiju? Is it like an octopus? I feel like it'd be, be it'd be great if it was like some sort of like um, amphibious thing, something that could be either like it could go from the ocean okay. to the island. Either was it, it wouldn't be hampered. like a salamander. I salamander I like might work. That. Yeah, I could. I was see gonna that. say frog, but like no, salamander would be more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Really my fish with that can walk on land. That I have in my head. <laughs> <laughs> ben Gunn discovers the missing link. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like the salamander. Salamander that, that and he can cool. actually breathe fire. 
Ooh, yeah. yes. And then like, and it can like pick up giant ships with its tongue. Like its yes. tongue sticks out and like throws a ship. <laughs> oh, I like this. I like, I like this. I, I, I would watch that. Yeah. Or read it too. I, I it, actually, I want, I want this to exist. <laughs> I think it's, I think. I want someone to write awesome. a, an extra I, chapter. I, I want, so, yeah, an extra chapter. It's like a fanfic <laughs> chapter that supplants the, the original ending with the giant salamander. <laughs> Either that or someone needs to get really good at necromancy and bring Robert Louis Stevenson back well, sure for one that. chapter. Probably not. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, we've had one two books. Movie. Let's do another, one more movie. Okay. The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is, I haven't read it yet, but there was actually a Godzilla comic book miniseries that was published that actually, I think, had to do with organized really? crime or what something. It's like, I think it was like, I'm probably butchering the title. I think it was something like Mobsters and Monsters or something. I don't know. Nice. I'll, I'll, <laughs> So we I'll need, figure it out for real and you can put it in the show notes. So we need a we need a mafia kaiju, right? Basically. I guess. I'm I'm not sure about this one. <laughs> but how do you add it in without destroying the godfather? You know, whether the mythos, yeah. It needs oh. to be, it needs to be a pretty like low key one, I think. Like just comes out like hey. <laughs> you know. Instead of the horse head, it's a kaiju head. Is it something that like um What's uh, Robert De Niro's character's name? Fred? Is it Frito? Maybe, yeah. Anyway, is it something that he summons to destroy the rival, uh, the rival <laughs> oh, at mob? at the end. Yeah, toward the end. Like, or like maybe, or maybe both mobs are, are both working to try to summon a, a kaiju. I feel like it needs to be very dark and shadowy and stealthy. Hmm. It's hard to be sneaky when you're a kaiju. <laughs> maybe it's a, it's a shadow, like a... Oh. Like it's a it's a it's a kaiju shadow that kind of just clings to the side of buildings and then like it's emerges. A sh- it, so it's very it's noir. A, yeah, exactly. It's a it is actually a projection from the Robert De Niro character who goes around and assassinates all of the other oh. It is the final manifestation of his slide. Ooh, okay. I, 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 into I you know, into if you want to call it this, into evil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying that. Yeah. So okay. I see where you're going with that. Nice. It, it goes around and, and it keeps, murders all of them in his yeah. sleep or something like that. <laughs> I can see that. All right, one more book. The Grapes of Wrath. All right, so you guys are have to I'll take this I one. Not, I actually don't know very much about Grapes of Wrath, except they like... They never take a bath. <laughs> Two isn't video there, references. Good isn't work. There, isn't there... Uh, I know there's this... Because I haven't read it yet either. Oh, man. Isn't there... I think there's... Isn't there a very famous scene that involves a turtle crossing the road? I think that's in the Grapes of Wrath. I have no idea. Uh, Maybe we take another one. Let's try another one. Yeah. We'll go another one. Yeah, we don't know. I was gonna uh, after, uh, after that, I was gonna say plant monster. But. <laughs> let's do Hamlet. Oh, <laughs> there are more things in the world than your philosophy can hold, Horatio. Um, <laughs> Which, interestingly, in the American in the American cut of King Kong versus Godzilla, that is quoted. That's right. At I've the seen that. I've seen it. that. You're right. Which is terribly out of well, it's kind of, well, not terribly out of place. It's a little out of place, but it's it's just a weird beginning. So we need a but. very indecisive kaiju. No, um, <laughs> so is it is it a good kaiju? Is it uh, drat? What's the bad king's name that killed? Who's oh, the who killed um, Hamlet's dad? I, I don't think Polonius, but he's just ridiculous. Polonius no, I, I, I suddenly <laughs> can't remember. Two things came to my mind. Either. Uh, the one that I think would be more interesting is that it's uh, it's the ghost of Hamlet's dad. It's okay. a kaiju. It's a kaiju. Okay. There's that or... Hmm. I feel like it needs to be looming. It's over everything yes. all the time. Yes. It, mm, it should be yes. looming. Something... 
York. No, uh, <laughs> York is a is a kaiju skull. <laughs> it's just oh. the skull. It's no. just the skull. Maybe it's maybe it's a um, like a half dead kaiju. Because after all, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. <laughs> yes, yes, that is what's rotten <laughs> in the state of that, Denmark. It's just there, it, like it's a kaiju corpse. <laughs> like it just, it's like just throughout the entire castle. Like just, yeah, yeah. The kaiju's not actually doing anything. It is the carcass of a dead kaiju oh, that man, somebody was, killed, and it's just sitting there. It's the like entire super time. symbolic for Hamlet. Yes, it's super awesome. Yes, I do, I maybe we that. could even throw in a few extra lines here and there about somebody saying that you know that they. Had just killed this thing. Maybe <laughs> Hamlet. No, maybe that's the cover story for how for you know for Hamlet's dad dying. He's like, oh, he died slaying this thing. He wasn't <laughs> murdered. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the players can ask about it, and Rudolf and Guildenstern can make jokes about it. And, <laughs> and then at the end, when Hamlet is having his climactic duel, one of, somebody goes over and pulls a tooth out of the out of the kaiju's mouth and stabs him with it. And then he still takes five minutes to die. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Uh, fun. Well, we need to wrap this up, but I think it would be fun to give our audience the titles that we didn't use. And so you come that, up with your own kaiju movies. Exactly. So some of our other books that we didn't talk about were Pride and Prejudice. Which would be a fabulous one to put a kaiju in. Mm-hmm. Dr. Doolittle. Oh, <laughs> well, there's a giant snail. There's a red kaiju, isn't there? Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's, like it, All it would be is just that instead of being a veterinarian for every animal, he's a veterinarian for kaiju. Yeah, that's, essentially. that's what it is. You, you, yeah, I'm sure you can come up with some interesting things there. And then a tale of two cities. Which be, I think you need two kaiju. Yeah, a tale yes. of two kaiju, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So fan fiction authors get to work on that. We would like to hear your ideas. All right, so that has been our hundred and first episode. It was nice to hang out with Nathan and to hang out in this relatively safe place near dangerous things. Remind us, what's the name of this place? Uh, it was originally Monsterland, but now they've gone with Monster Island. So you may be on the lookout for more podcasts from Monster Island in the future. Yeah. From the Monster yeah. Island Film Vault, correct. Uh, it's, it's, oh, Jimmy, don't page me when I'm on another podcast. I, I'm sorry. You know, Jimmy gets a he's my producer. He gets a little overzealous. He's he's an incredibly overzealous fact checker and all of that. So, you know, he forgets that I'm not always at work. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, in the meanwhile, while you're waiting for that podcast, feel free to check out all of our episodes. Uh, this is the beginning, what we're calling season three. The uh, third age of, <laughs> of, of, of mankind. Of, of mankind, yep. Of the real trains kind. Uh, first, se- If you want to know, the first season is technically like the first 20 episodes for the most part. Second season was a very long stretch from episode 20 to... Um, um, well, episode 100. And uh, episode 100 has opened up some new opportunities for us that uh, uh, we didn't have uh, a lot of time because we're kind of like we said, we're under construction, but we have some ideas for the future of this podcast. Yep. Speaking of new opportunities, would you guys like to be on my show? I think, oh, it, I think it'd be fun. Yeah, yeah I was going to start uh, I was going to start with Monster Island's other most famous resident, King Kong. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Nice little tease there for the audience. Uh, but you, if you want to go through our uh, our archives of seasons one and two of Derailed Trains, that's available at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. And wherever you can find fine podcasts. Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us there, or Stitcher, or yep. where, where have you. And join our uh, side podcast, uh, The, the Weekly, Weekly Hijack. Hijack. We're currently going through Babylon 5 still. Yep. And um, Nathan, would you like to get us our last soundtrack? Well... 
The obvious thing to do would be to go with uh, something kaiju related. And honestly, if you guys hadn't already played it, I would have actually gone that route, which would have been Wanderer on the Offensive from, oh, the, Shadow, from uh, of the Shadow of the Colossus, which, spoiler warning, is the theme song for the Monster Island film vault. But since I wasn't able to do that, I decided to go with something that is destruction themed, <laughs> which is the Annihilation of Monsteropolis which is a remix. It's more like a cover, I guess you could say, of uh, of a track from Mega Man 2 done by an incredibly great band, one of my favorite bands, The Megas. All right. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us, Nate. Um, it was I'm, a pleasure. Do you know how we get out of here? We can just ask, but let's stay here for a little bit. <laughs> oh, okay. The podcast will figure it out. Yeah, I, I don't home. recommend using the Keylock teleporters. May I, I've still have, there's still a few scientists trying to get the bugs out of those yeah. things. I know, I know we probably don't want to go outside. That's that's yeah. all I know. And, sure. I, and don't use one of the Keylock saucers either. You know, those things are weird. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Until next time, folks, this is Tim. This is Nick. And thanks again. Nathan. Bye-bye. Adios. Sayonara. Everything is